right, welcome to another episode of Some Days Today. My name is Bola Odina, and I am your host. I am joined by my co-host, Mac Odina. Welcome. Glad to be here, as always. Yeah. So, today is June 4th, and I am stating the date because I want to put things in context. So, we are um, coming out of a very difficult week, what's been difficult for a lot of people given um, all the protests, the unrest, which relates to the murder of- George Floyd, there's been like uh, two different murders, um, one by people who our tax dollars are, um, are hard earned money, which we pay through our tax dollars, um, pay for, they're supposed to serve and protect us amongst other members, uh, other citizens, and then one um, Ahmad Aubrey was killed by, you know, some racist other citizens of um, the United States. So I, I think, I think it's always a lot more. Well, I don't know. I, I was actually really disturbed by the Ahmad Aubrey one, but I think it's a lot more disturbing when you think this is my money. I'm I'm actually paying for people to come and kill me. I'm I'm paying for my own assassins. <laughs> this is freaking crazy. So, so, um, so before we dive in, and I think this is going to be um, an even more difficult conversation to sort of reel in, mm. um, more so than our other conversations where we, we're always going off in tangents and all over the place. Um, I'm just going to give a little bit of a background. Um, to be honest. I've been very protective of my mental space for some time now. Um, I have realized that I actually internalize stress and I don't process it well. So then it then shows up through various pains in my body. Um, you know, I'm in a state of disorientation. I mean, there was a time maybe four years ago when I was really confused as to what was going on with my body. So when, when I connected that what was happening to me was related to stress, um, then I started paying attention to what I allowed to stress me out. And almost at the same time, I also realized um, how much stress impacted my, uh, my psyche. You know, just the noise that comes in and how it weighs me down and keeps me unable to think. So um, the last time I was really involved in... Um, you know, a black man or black boy getting killed. And when I really internalized it and it did a number of me was um, Trayvon Martin. And I think there were some, um, you know, deaths that were pretty, that came in pretty close successions um, afterwards. And I just, you know, I just remember that time, there was just so much going on and um, it just took a lot out of me. I was exhausted. I have a son and I remember just, feeling overwhelmed, powerless, and hurting, um, not only for the victims, but also for the men in my family, obviously myself as a black woman, uh, but also my son, you know, because obviously when you have children, you want to protect them as much as possible. You know, they're these beautiful, perfect creatures, and it's alarming to think that, um, you know, the world could view them as threats to the point where, you know, their lives could be taken and taken so callously um, while the rest of the world is watching and questioning, 
what the big deal was, you know. <laughs> so, um, so that really did a number on me, and and I, I think that was soon followed by the boy. I think he was in Ohio who was playing with a little toy gun, mm. who got shot. Um, and once again, it just threw me into the space of disbelief, and um, I remember just it wearing me out. Um, so since then, um, and realizing that these things really just take a toll on my mental health personally, um, I've sort of tried to distance myself away from these news when they come up. And every now and then, you know, every year you'll see, you know, an outrage, you know, somebody will get killed and all of that. And I'll be somewhat familiar with it, but I don't watch the videos. I don't try to read about those stories. My heart goes out to the families and I pray for them and, um, you know, try to do whatever, whatever I can without letting the energy in. So I say all that to say that um, when I started seeing um, news of, I think it was Ahmad Aubrey that this happened to first on my um, social media, to be honest, I really just didn't want to um, engage in it. You know, I was trying to figure out a way to scroll past it. We're quarantining anyways. Um, I don't have, we don't have regular cable, so I can pick and choose what I tune into. And for the most part, I've sort of been tuned out of it. I didn't realize this um, had gotten as big as it did. And I didn't realize there was a second episode, to be honest, until um, this weekend. Um, so, Mac, what, what have you been following, you know, the events and then the outrage leading to the um, protests and, you know, the rioting and all of that? Had you been following to the point where you were aware and how have you been processing it? All right. So <clears throat> a couple of things um, before we get started is, A, I want to say that um, these are our opinions and you know other people who have opinions are free to express them we don't have a large group but i know that black social media they used to call them black twitter but we're everywhere now um will quickly swoop down and try to annihilate anyone with what i believe is a difference of opinion than theirs or if you misstate it i know for example um trina had the gall to call people who are looting um, animals. Who's and Trina? The the baddest bitch. Baddest bitch. bitch. <laughs> 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 she had the gall to call uh, you know the people who are looting animals, and you know, I mean, there's there's nuances. We can get into debates ourselves, and so there are ways that if you do not state something in the most precise of ways, and even when you actually do, and even right before you said, "Here's I do understand." And you present the other side. But here's my opinion. You cannot deviate in any way from whatever idea it is that you are supposed to have had. And so I want to make it clear that, you know, we do understand, but we also are people who are have the right to have an, our own opinion. And I do understand the, the, the fear, too. Like, um, you know, I've made the argument that if we do not, um, if we do not um, make certain ideas... Um, not palatable if we do not allow them to become normative then you then the potential you know the extreme potential is that you can end up in a situation where you know world war ii nazi germany where people are like yeah it is okay to just um put people in internment camps and so i do get the reason why people want to make sure that this doesn't happen but it also can stifle 
um, honest conversation. And I wanted to put that out there because we are going to be stating our opinions. Um, I also want to say, you know, this is someday is today, which, um, you know, is about, you know, making steps right away, right now, as you stand. So I want to make sure that we are relating it to that. Two points that I want to make before I um, start to have my own conversation. And so, yes, um, have I been following? To answer your question now, have I been following? I think the first person who alerted me to the Ahmad uh, Aubrey one was uh, my sister-in-law. And then she sent um, a video and I saw it. And for me, that was like, wow. It was the same thing that I kind of felt when I saw Trayvon laying on the ground, mouth open. It was vivid. It was like, it, it was like, it was anger. Like, um, so can you explain? I mean, I guess most people, I haven't seen the video, mm-hmm. um, but can you, can you explain the video just to put it in context? Which one? Oh, the Ahmad, Ahmad one. Um, so Ahmad, you know, he's jogging down the street. Somebody is in a car videotaping him. So I, I, I didn't know who it was at the time. We later find out he was involved um, with the whole basically chase down and lynching. Um, and he's, you know, there's a, truck in front of him and he's going by the truck he's trying to pass to the right side of the truck um, Ahmad is Ahmad uh-huh. who's um, jogging there's a truck um, um, there is a truck in front of him so he's trying to you know go around the truck to the right side of the truck and at that point I assume he notices because you can't see the guy in the gun uh, with the gun he notices the guy in the gun and he tries to go around the guy and you know the guy comes in and you know they get off to the side and I, I think they're tussling um you know i hear the first shot and then they come back into the frame and you see Ahmad fighting the man which is you know what's up because the man went down fighting you didn't you know cower or anything of that nature and so you know you hear another shot and you see the shot like it you could see like the um the like uh, I guess I don't know what to call it like blood or whatever splattering away or some mm. kind of and then you know after that guy I mean it was a point blank shot so both realize it's pretty much over the guy you know basically stops chasing after that Ahmad stops you know fighting after that and turns around to try to continue to run away to continue on his by his way and then he maybe takes another three steps and then he falls to the ground on his face wow Um. so Wow. Yeah. Um, um, all right. Um, yeah. So you saw that. I did see and that. And you said you felt anger. Yeah, I felt okay. angry. I felt... Um, Even hearing it right now, I mean, it's... This is why I don't watch it, because I don't, I don't know how to process it. It's very emotional. I can't even imagine seeing that. I feel like that will haunt me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting... And I know you're going to talk about the other video, but for me, I'm, I can't even see a dead animal on the street without, um, feeling a ways about it. So I just wonder how have you, as a, as a black man, you're seeing another black man in America. And I can only imagine that that now makes you feel vulnerable you know, you think about your son, maybe your brothers, your other family members. How are you able to process all of this in a way that it doesn't discombobulate you? You know, it's kind of like watching a scary movie. You know, it leaves an imprint on you. It impacts your psyche. You know, like how are you comfortably 
able to watch that and move on about your day? Like, how do you, how do you process that? Mm. So I know different people react differently. So um, from my perspective, um, when I saw Ahmaud Arbery more particularly than the, um, the you know, the um, George Floyd one, I, I mean, there's a sense of, okay, well, there's, there's a sense of helplessness. Like, I mean, I wish I could, I mean, if this man was in front of me, it would go down, you know, but then it's miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I, whatever, hundreds of miles away, uh, whatever the case may be. And then, um, I don't know. Um, I kind of try to, I, I, I guess I isolate them. Um, you know, clearly these things are happening and it, it angers me in, in such a way that, you know, I don't know why we're being treated that way, but I don't know. I don't know that I, um, so you carry don't necessarily, it. okay. You don't carry it. Gotcha. No. Um, and, or, and I think or, that's interesting. Nor do I place myself in, in the immediate position where I feel like that would happen to me or my children. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously it could. I mean, in, in this particular it's situation, America. this guy is freaking running. But, I yeah. mean, you know, it, it's not. It, it's like he's just running. You know, right. that's all he's doing. And so it obviously could. It's just that. I, I mean, for me to just be like, oh, my God, this could happen would be like watching a car accident and saying, well, this could happen to me, too. Well, that's all, it's obvious that it could, too. But I don't know that I okay. take it and say that's what, that's what's going to happen to me. OK, so it doesn't impact you because for me, I mean, not that it doesn't impact you. I mean, clearly it does. But I'm saying in a way that um, it impacts me that, that, that to me and this is why me not watching the video is almost an act of resistance even in a way for me because I just don't think it's acceptable to be sharing videos of bodies, human beings being killed like that. There's something that's not humane about it, you know? And and, and it's very concerning to me then this is why this is so complicated. It's such a difficult topic to even talk about. Uh, and I think that's why you talked about, you know, the opinions earlier. Because for me, it's not even, it's out of compassion, out of, out of the humanity of it all, out of, you know, me understanding my blackness and being able to connect to this man, you know, who could be my brother, my my father, my son, and all of that. It's out of that and wanting to preserve the humanity of us that I can't, I can't watch, I don't want our death to be cheapened that way, you know? So I, I question, and, and I know there's, you know, how do you balance resistance and, you know, saying the names and, you know, showing the videos and publicizing it, which we talked about yesterday, and you talked about the importance of making people aware of it, which is so important. But I think it's a double-edged sword as well, because number one, I think it does impact the psyche of the people who are watching it. But I think also the people who are observing it, who perhaps are not black, there's almost something, when something has happened in a repeated manner, it becomes cheap and it's like, oh yeah, you know, you could easily take a black life and then, you know, we continue to scroll on about our day to the next thing. You know, it's not, it, 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 um, it, it, it makes it almost, um, it's almost as if it's it's permitted. I I don't, I don't know what it. I, I don't know that I've ever really seen someone get shot and fall down. I don't want to see it outside of a movie, and even then, it's pretty shocking to me. So, I don't 
know. It's 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 a tough one. Um, but that's why I I didn't watch it because I know physically and emotionally I can't handle it. Uh, but politically, I also feel like, you know, when you look at pictures of, um, you know, bodies, you know, dead bodies and photographs from war, they blur it because there's there's a you're not supposed to see that. You're not supposed to see that. So for us to, you know be seeing this and be sharing this. I, I just think it does so much damage to us. And I didn't even realize the children had seen it um, or are aware of this because I was also trying to protect them, but apparently everything is out on TikTok, you know? So Amy was saying, oh yeah, I heard about this on TikTok. And I'm just like, I, you can't even protect your children against this because you want them to be preserved. You want them to feel like they are perfect and they're not a threat because of their skin. And, you know, the world welcomes them in lights up just as much as we do when they walk in, but that's not true. You know, and when they're seeing the opposite out on the street, how can it not make, how can it not have them questioning, you know, who they are? Um, you know, what value do they have to um, add to the world and how are they being perceived? So, Anyway, so that's 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 that video, which is pretty heavy. But go ahead. Um. So yes. So the response to that. Um. So mm -hmm. we we did discuss this yesterday. Um. And I mean, there was many different um opinions on it. I think the way that I want to start it today, because there are many things that um we said, but the way that I want to start start it today, and I think this is part of um what we want to talk about. I mean, for me. There is a kind of a protest fatigue. Like, mm. I feel like whenever certain things happen, we're always jumping into protests. And this is, and from my perspective, it's like, how 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 long are we going to keep on begging um, these fools to give us what we want? Beggars can't be choosers. And I know, again, this is exactly why I said what I had said um, in the beginning. People are going to take that word and be like, what the heck do you mean? This is our... There's plenty of arguments to the other side. Um, this is our money. That we are citizens. We, you know, we should do. We should do. And all from my perspective, this is not to say that we should not fight on all fronts. And we you're saying we? You mean black? Black people. People. Uh huh. Yes. We should not fight on all fronts. It shouldn't be that um, we shouldn't vote. We shouldn't do all these things. We shouldn't protest. It's just from my perspective, like the focus needs to be on being independent. Being like when you talk about Ferguson, that is a majority black population city, and they had like 53 cops. And I think it was like, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know it was dismal. I think the mayor was freaking white and all this other stuff. When you're not represented by your own people, you're now you have to come hat in hand to ask people to treat you the way that you want. And this is how. This is how I took protests, and, and as a person who no, but let's not participated get there in protests, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. we can discuss a little more later, mm -hmm. but I'm expressing my thoughts, and so this is how, um, you know, I, 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 I'm starting here because I want to say that this is the way that I felt when people started, you know, just protesting in one way or another, this is how I felt, protest fatigue and, and, and that sort of thing, but I, you know, I also understand the other side. The other side, which is, um, you know, if you think about it, the reason why the civil rights movement was so effective is because these images of people getting bitten by dogs, being sprayed by um, water, water 
hoes and, and that sort of thing was being bought into the face of white people who had no idea that these things were going on. This was the brilliance of um, Martin Luther King, you know, because the idea is he was communicating with a different audience than, say, a um, a uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X was saying, black people, get yourselves together. Um, Martin Luther King was saying, hey, we are your citizens and this is what's happening to us. We need your assistance here. Um, and so I get that. Like, you, the part of the reason why stuff doesn't happen in North Korea is because nobody anywhere hears about it. Uh-huh. You know, when you see something like... Um, a person standing in front of a large tank in Tiananmen Square, it starts to galvanize people because a lot of times you're only concerned with what is there. Like I think um, the word is people are concerned with like the emergencies and not what's or whatever the term not what's is, important. Not what's important. Yeah. Um, and so right right now you're only concerned with what is on your day to day life until you are this is made relevant to you. You're not going to fight. And so I also understand. Um, the reason. And so when we talk about whether or not people become desensitized to the idea of black people, you know, being murdered, that's precisely why if you, that image comes out, you do need to scream and yell so that it does not become the norm. norm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I completely get it. I understand. Um, I almost feel I can't even explain the range of emotions that I'm feeling because you do feel torn and I feel torn. Um, but I think there's a space as well because we've been so battered. Um, you know, um, you know, we're going to read some of, um, James Baldwin's quotes, but you know, there's one that's really popular that he says to be black in America and to be conscious, even, even somewhat conscious or, awake in any way is for you to constantly be enraged you know you're just living in a state of rage you know so I think um I think that's sort of what I'm struggling with is you know just wanting to exist as a regular human being but having this constant feeling of rage that I've got to battle with which is like constant trauma like you're just constantly exposed to trauma Um, And that's very damaging, you know, on your body physically, I know on me. And, you know, we talk about um, mental illness within the black community, which we had an episode recently with Dr. Bowling. And, you know, trauma is something that, you know, your body, it just travels through your body and it impacts you in ways that you don't even realize for, for years and maybe even decades, like, you know, things that you don't even realize are affecting you and impacting your day-to-day um you're having to process you know later on so it's difficult it's definitely a difficult thing because you don't really know what do you do and and i guess that's the um paradox of what it is to be black in america you know you want to protect yourself but you can't help but feel enraged you know and be drawn into it but okay so so that's now, that. Go ahead. I don't know exactly how you're. We should have probably discussed how, you know, we wanted to structure this uh, ahead of time. But um, that's fine. I do want to get to um, the other death. But um, no, well, so the, what I wanted to say is, um, you know, 
I exactly. So when with respect to this um this thing, I know that for a while I was like, oh my god. I mean, honestly, like um we saw, I saw the growing protests, and I was sort of like, wow, I, I can't believe it's getting to this level. You know, I didn't realize I know. how bad it got <clears throat> yeah. until I was at dinner the other day, and they said DC is like a complete mess. I don't know how true that is, but no, apparently um, it is. That it's, but anyways, go ahead. I mean, they are putting um, curfews and everything. I, yeah, I mean, we're outside of DC, not that far, or that that much close to it. They're putting curfews and anything, but I, I mean, even when Minnesota started to flare up and bur- buildings were burning, I was like, wow, I can't believe that it's gotten to that point. Because I mean, in some ways, I guess I had already become desensitized to the idea that this happened, and it's like, okay, here's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the idea that you know people were getting to this level of you know, righteous rage, um, was kind of, um, interesting to me. Um, I guess partially because I guess there's a learned helplessness involved in this. It's like, I mean, really, what exactly do you think is going to happen? But I also remember thinking, um, you know, okay, just what exactly is the end goal? What do you want to have happen? And then since then people have started to come up with, here's some, like, I, I remember the eight, um, the eight can't wait. Eight can't wait. So, you know, demands it is, of um, mm-hmm. you know reform that needs to take place within right. the um, um, police. Right. Yeah. And I, I just say this to say that immediately I, I was thinking to myself, why all of this? I, there was a, a helplessness part of this, and there was this. Um, but because people continue to post, I started to get drawn in. We started to get drawn in. Part of the reason we're having this. Um, conversation today is because we started to get joined in so in essence it is sort of necessary right it, it is it is necessary like i mean one of the ways that we explain protests to our um, youngest our nine-year-old was okay when if you when you can't get what you want you start to scream right mm-hmm. like because you don't have any power you start to scream and so you know you may not actually know precisely what the heck is wrong or how to say here's what will i need to have change but you know something is wrong and you're like, something's got to happen until the dialogue starts to happen. And then people start to have the conversation and say, OK, here's some of the things that we can do. And, you know, not everybody's going to be the ones coming up with what the what to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what you're saying is um, the fight is necessary on all fronts. Yeah. So, yeah, we do need to be enraged. We need to scream. We need to protest. We need to um you know, um, share the imagery. Um, and then we also need to find solutions. We need to find process and all of that. And for me, I think part of what I wanted to stress, because I know I'm not the only black person, you know, I had (laughs) dinner with two other friends who said the same thing. I couldn't watch it. You know, I don't want to be drawn into it. So I I think we also have to leave room for, our own humanity to be preserved as black people. You know what I mean? Because when you feel, like you said, you know, when you feel like you are not only fatigued from, you know, feeling helpless, you know, sense of helplessness is damaging in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But I think watching that type of scene, you know, just does something to your psyche. So I think we also need to have conversations, particularly when we're discussing the importance of mental um, health. I think it's okay for you to 
like take a break from it to feel like you know, I could still be black. I could still be interested in progress, but I don't have to fight on all fronts. You know, there are different ways for me to, um, you know, be of support without feeling like I need to, you know, be all engulfed in this, you know. So I, I think it's important to have that conversation um, because it is difficult, um, especially with social media, like especially, you know, when, when everything is so comprehensive, you know, in terms of this topic, that's all we talk about. Um, you don't know where you can occupy comfortably as a black person who just feels like it's too much for them to even um, process, let alone now speak something about. Right. But I yeah. mean, for me, again, on this, it's the, and again, I don't know how, but I, I feel like I don't know exactly how where your quotes are going to come in. But for me, with respect to this, and I don't know why other, maybe like you were saying, you know what, I just don't want to have my mind disturbed in, in such a way. But ultimately, if you are talking about your children, your your sons, your, your husbands, you know, you want this thing to have changed and something has to happen. So that's why for me... You know, if you've gotten to that point where you said, okay, I don't want to be disturbed, but I also don't want this to be life yeah. for myself, then the question, and this is where I was at, it's like, protest, protest, protest. I mean, when do we actually freaking do something right. that um, means something? And for me, it, there, there, is a, there is an idea that I, that I, that we have in our minds as to what that should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so and we'll talk about that. I think that. that's what it is that is yeah. that was really the thing for and yeah, we will talk about that. And so <laughs> I, I, I think that's what it is for us, where it's kinda of like, here we go. Protest again? Mm-hmm. I mean, what about all the what the the um three hundred and sixty four days of the week of the year week mm-hmm. of the year when you're supposed to be doing A and you're just like, Okay, I'm just gonna wait for that that one day yeah. and then I'm going to go protest. Like, and that's what was problematic. And I know, um, you know, I've heard people be like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be putting down what other people are doing or, you know, this meme, like everybody does what they can do and, and that sort of thing. And don't put anybody's efforts down or whatever the case may be. But it's kind of like at some point, this is, I think the frustrating part for me. This is why I want to um, say at some point it's going to be like, Fuck that shit. Like, we've got... If we really... These people... Trump, the president of these United States, is talking about shoot... Like, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, I'm going to go and put order in. This is your president, and now what we're saying is, let's go ask them yeah. for assistance? No. What the, At some point, it's like, let me get my shit together. Fuck yeah. these people. You know, and like, the 364 days, how are we getting our shit together? Yeah. So that we can be all good and ready on our own on that 365th. Yeah. So. But the reason why this is such a difficult thing to tackle, and you mentioned Nuamen, who is our son, is um, you just talked about how, you know, there's protest fatigue that you're experiencing. But then he just, like, he got up, like, he's been preparing all morning, you know, because part of the people in his friendship groups who are not black are saying, oh my God, this protest is so stupid. And he's like... They're Asian, just so... And, and just, I don't I, think they're all Asian. I think most of them. And the point, but, and the reason I wanted to clarify it is because, you know, 
I mean, we can. Total we insecure can, always we, works itself into this. Um, some I days today. No, this has nothing to do no, about no goddamn Asian Molly. Boyfriend? Yeah, I know it has nothing to do with Molly. It's the okay. Same thing. Oh, I Asian get it. Asian Molly. You remember the, the brother pool. who was saying in the pool? It, yeah. Is, okay, isn't I there get a different it. way to? Do, I swear to God, Issa be thinking. Issa, like these are the things that we struggle with. But anyways, the point thinking. is, Issa be thinking. Issa be thinking. <laughs> she be doing it. Um, um, but yeah, but that's, that's the thing. Like Nuamen is like, like his friends are like, really, y'all protesting? And he was outraged. And when he told us, you know, that his friends are saying, you know, that they're about to have a debate today, you know, where um, they're going to go back and forth as to whether or not protesting or rioting or whatever it is is um, beneficial in his teens of course it is and then of course naturally we were like of course it is tell right. the aim we were giving him points you know this is why whatever 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 so yeah this mainly is and i want to make this point right now you know this model minority myth um you know it, it's all nice and beautiful because we had to sit there and fight for the rights we are the one people. black people who got our ass kicked all over the place and are now being labeled angry black men or angry black mm-hmm. women, but we also changed the right. We also are the of, ones responsible the for civil rights. Yeah. Um, but as far as civil rights and all these other things, we are the ones who fought and b- bared the, or bore the scars from our fighting where, and at the end of when we've gotten laws to change, the model minority could come in and quietly say, well, you can get diversity and not have to deal with the um, angry part. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you get the benefit from this, and yet you don't acknowledge how important it is mm-hmm. that we actually did this so that you can, and we've been you in can the um, fight. benefit from yeah. it. You know what I mean? And so I think that needs to be clear. Amongst other very important reasons why, you know, they should not discount um, the work and effort that um, African Americans have put in together. Because I, you know, I am a um, Haitian immigrant, and I know that I benefited from it, and I know that I also um, dealt when I was growing up with my father saying, you know, uh, don't associate with African Americans because of the perception that was uh-huh. there, and you know, it's like uh, the reason why you actually chose to travel to the U.S. for opportunity where there would be none for you is because of the work that African Americans put in, right? And so. Um, no, that's one of the many reasons, but I just wanted to note that. But the reason I brought Nuamen up, mm-hmm. just to be clear, is um, to show sort of the um, dis- is it dissonance, you know, that exists within black people. You mm-hmm. know, you can feel fatigued by the rioting mm-hmm. and, the, and the protesting and feel like, oh, my God, is this really going anywhere? But then the minute any other group says this is not beneficial, you know, we already on the other side, you know, stating why it is, why we need to do this. So you mm-hmm. could see why, you know, we're struggling on so many fronts with what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the same reason why, you know, I was speaking with my friend. I don't want to be pulled into this. I don't want to be sharing videos. I don't even want to feel like I, I don't even know the words to say, you know, I, I don't even know that it could be articulate enough to, you know, organize those thoughts in a way that would be meaningful enough to represent what I'm feeling so I choose to say nothing but then I'm also looking at my white friend saying y'all not gonna say nothing (laughs) you know what I mean so it's like it's just so difficult you know you almost feel helpless you know um you know all around anyways um Floyd 
Yes. Yeah. So George, what, 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 when you saw that, I haven't seen that video either. So I um, explained that because I do want to eventually get to um, my approach for what I'm going to move myself from a place of um, weakness, you know, or lack of power position and what I feel like I can do moving forward in a sustained way. But I do think it's important to, at the very least, um, explore our feelings and how we got here. So what were your feelings when you saw that video, George Floyd? Honestly, I, for whatever reason, Ahmad Arbery hit me harder and I and probably because I don't know that I watched that video to the end where he was limp and, mm. you know. Um, so I can also... you explain it for those who haven't seen it? So um, the, like, there are multiple different videos. Um, and so like captured from different camera angles and different cameras, um, you know, he was pulled out of a car because he supposedly um, gave a counter, from what I hear later on, and I don't, you know, I haven't done extensive research on this, but what I hear later on, he, um, at first it was like supposed to be a fraudulent check, but then what I heard, it was like a, um, and I don't know how true this is, because I'm hearing from different sources, and I don't know how credible these sources are, but um, that it was a um, counterfeit $20 bill or something like that, a counterfeit bill, whatever, and so, you know, they came in and pulled him out of a car, and Maybe he didn't even understand. Maybe he didn't know it was counterfeit. Like, if you know the nature of counterfeit bills, like, somebody could have passed it on to you. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, I mean, this is a freaking $20 bill. So mm-hmm. you go and you pass it on to someone else. And then, um, you know, they was pulled out of the car, and I think maybe he was confused or whatever. Um, so he, cops came and pulled them out of the car. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, um, you know, I don't know exactly what happened. Like I said, there's multiple videos, but then at some point they handcuff him, hands, you know, behind his back. And then, you know, the infamous, um, you know, imagery that you have is of that white cop with, you know, just kneeling down on his neck. And then there is a point where, you know, people videotaped and he's like, I can't breathe. My back hurts. Everything hurts. He's just talking about, like, these people are going to kill me. Mm. And then this white man is, you know, the white officer is on his neck. Like, it seems like you're you're talking just fine. And for over six minutes, they're mm. just, like, has his knee on this dude's neck. Eventually, you know, he stops moving, stops mm. talking. And I think, you know, at, for about a minute more, they still are on this dude's neck until, mm. you know, they lift him up. And I think, you know, get the ambulance and then he later dies. Um, I think, I don't know, for me, that did not hit me as hard as Aubrey because um, at, at least initially um, it didn't because, you know, I, I just saw a man just get shot. Whereas this one, you know, um, the I guess he was being, yeah. <laughs> went out of him. And yeah. you you probably have accepted your lack of power when it comes to a cop anyway, when it comes to your relationship with um, police officers. So maybe this is something that is not as shocking because we've seen this time after time where black men have been gunned down, murdered, you know, mistreated, mishandled. So it's probably, you're probably somewhat desensitized to it. Yeah, that, and I think, you know, and this is exactly why the video is also important, too. It's like, because a lot of times, if you don't see this, if I didn't see the um, Ahmaud Arbery situation, all I would be like is somebody died. And then there's stories. 
mm-hmm. you know, seeing it, it's like the man is running, like he's trying to get away from you. And then the same situation with respect to this one, like, you know, I didn't know precisely what the issue is. Cause a lot of times we have our own implicit biases about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing a black man. And from my perspective at the time of seeing it, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe he was involved in something. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, maybe, maybe he was resisting, resisting that, uh, yes. all this other stuff. And yes. so there's which, all these things are which happening. Which in and of itself also speaks to us being desensitized in nature, you know, in general. Because mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not, whatever he did, um, I, I don't think it justifies him being killed. Yeah, you standing on his neck while he's handcuffed. It right. I mean, I mean, as, you know, so that also speaks, I mean, th- there's a lot said in that, that even when we can rationalize intellectually that, well, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, what could the man have done to seeing the, um, seeing the video, you almost, it almost felt as if you were like, well, I mean, I don't know. What did he do? You know Mm. what I mean? So once again, like when black people get frustrated about, you know, well, you don't see, you know, with our white counterparts or white fellow citizens and, you know, white people are like, I don't know. What did he do? You know, Mm. it's all, it's, it's, it's feeding upon itself. You know, this whole ecosystem of racism, this is why it's so dangerous and insidious. And you almost can't see it because you're trying to rationalize things that cannot be rationalized. Mm. Because ultimately, and James Baldwin also says this, um, and I'm going to mess up all his quotes, but I love him. But anyways, he said, it doesn't matter, like what the color of your skin is, what, how tall you are, what your race is, what your gender is, what anything is, nothing else is more important than your humanity. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, we're human beings. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what you did, what you didn't do, you should not have your life taken away from you so callously. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's something that I think in theory, maybe we understand. I mean, we have people fighting for the rights of animals, mm-hmm. for the rights of dogs, you know? So I think somehow the wiring, you know, and I don't know if it's the videos, I don't know, you know, obviously racism plays a huge role. The wiring somehow, you know, that connects the fact that these are human beings is frayed. You know, the connection is not getting through for whatever reason. You know, we're we're able to see these people, particularly black men, and to some extent, they register as somewhat threatening, somewhat deserving of whatever it is that they get, somewhat not as deserving of grace, of humanity. The same sort of um, grace you would show an animal, you can't even bring yourself to, um, you know, extend that to them. So, I mean, there's a lot there to grapple with. So, I mean, that probably is partly what was playing in your mind as well, because, you know, we're also playing into the narrative you know, um, that's been, that's being presented to us. And I mean, and that's important if I want to bring back the, um, you know, the, 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 our son and, um, his debate with his, uh, Asian friends, you know, um, it's, it's easy. And when you've come here as an immigrant, willingly looking for opportunity, you know, with your mindset, um, you know, you know, more intact, mm. you know, your, your, you didn't have you, your parents and their parents and their parents before them 
weren't told they were nothing. They couldn't amount to nothing. Mm -hmm. And they did not continue to pass on that learning generations down. Mm -hmm. You came in here thinking all of this was available to you, you know, and... And more importantly, you you have a knowledge of who you are, your history. You have a knowledge of what your people have done. Mm -hmm. You have a knowledge of, like, they're not... They, you know, they say when you can tell your own story, um, you know, you're always the victor. So your the stories that have been passed down by your family for generations and all of that always presents you as a great people. You know, I know in my family, you know, they talk about my grandfather. My grandfather did all this other stuff, you know. So I feel proud. You know, we are proud people. So immigrants all over in general, people in general feel proud of their lineage of who they are except african americans because it's been beat into you i mean not that we um you know, we understand the the, yeah, the not... progress that we've made mm-hmm. but the narrative constantly is that of us being subservient of that being of, of us being enslaved of being dragged like anytime our history is told it starts within that context so it makes it very difficult, like you were saying, to even be bolstered by, I don't know what y'all talking about, you know, especially as an immigrant, you come here. Yeah, you know, I may be washing the toilet right now, but like, I'm good. You know, I know who I am. I got people back home. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And this is just a temporary situation, you know? And that's an important thing because we talk about self-limiting beliefs on this show. What you think is your reality. That's just the that's just, and 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 for you to try to break away from it is the work that we talk about. You know, this idea that you can be anything that you believe yourself to be, but you necessarily have to believe it first. But when everything around you has been that you are a nobody, you would never amount to anything, and the system reinforces that over and over and over. It is amazing that black people in America are who they are. I mean, that in and of itself, the fact that you're just still breathing, that you wake up and you haven't collapsed. I can't even watch a video. That's how weak I am. Like I understand. And I'm somebody who, you know, like I'm Nigerian. I, you know, like I feel like I have some things that I can pull on, but I can't even. Anyways, um, I think that's the injustice is to have the victor be told that you actually think you're strong or that you won, but you're actually a victim and for you to buy into it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I mean, we're some amazing people, you know? <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Um, do we need to take a break? I just need something to wipe my face. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe we'll cut this out. Go ahead. What? We're going to cut this out. You can't. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, so that's part of the... Do you want to actually have no crying before we actually start? I know. I'm sorry. I don't know. But that's part of the miseducation, you know. Like, there's so much of our story that's been contorted and twisted, you know, 
misinterpreted and then served up to us to make us believe that, you know, you are this person that is deserving of having life, you know, taken away from you in broad daylight. And people were just, I mean, there wasn't even an arrest. You know what I mean? Like the, it, it's, it's flabbergasting. I mean, it wasn't an arrest until later, until the outrage. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what what where I was going is the implicit biases that you know that others share is being shared by us as well. Yeah, we buy and you into think it. That and you think that um, you know if you if you really think about it, for those of you out there who are minorities, particularly the Asian community, you know. Primarily because there is this idea of this model minority and, you know, there is this sense that there is this focus on their ability to work hard. And I don't know exactly what the numbers are right now, but I can tell you that it's likely that, you know, despite the fact that Asian people are getting better grades and all this other stuff. And this is precisely why it was that uh, there was a lawsuit that was brought on by supposedly by Asians. It ended up being that... um, it was by another organization that was white, and their, their whole point was to try to take down affirmative action. But Yale um, students, um, you know, supposedly, um, you know, challenged the affirmative action, the idea of considering race, not affirmative action, the idea of considering race as one of the factors in terms of permitting people to go in, and which is ridiculous because not only is race considered, legacy is considered, which is essentially um, affirmative action for rich white folks. Mm-hmm. But um, in any case, there was that challenge. And so there are, you know, a group of people when you brought up Issa and, um, you know, the the uh, uh, insecure yeah, yeah. episode where they traveled to um, Punta Cana. No, Puerto Vallada. Puerto Vallada, whatever. <laughs> One of Mexico. <laughs> Mexico. Punta Cana. Punta Cana. Where is Punta Cana? Is that it Mexico is, too? No, that is. No, that's um, Dominican, Dominican Republic. Republic. <laughs> Okay. Let me not get on them too, because um, yeah. I'm Haitian, yeah. and you know. We're not going to talk about. We ain't going to talk about <laughs> the <that>. Dominicans. <laughs> anyways, um, so anyways, um, so there is the um, they traveled to Mexico, and there was the episode where the Asian was like, "Well, you know, we all get discriminated against, like, but it's how you you handle it and that sort of thing." And the idea is that the discrimination is is the same, or in, in the fa- the fact remains that you know the fact that we can see each other like when you talk about soldiers going through ptsd from going through war for three years maybe going to iraq for a number of years and this is not to diminish the type of violence that they saw but to understand the kind of things that that black african-american population have had to witness and pass on to themselves generations down and think that they are not bearing that and think they're not, you know, internalizing that. Uh-huh. Like even us are, are sitting there thinking, oh, what, what did this man do? He fucking passed on a, a counterfeit, counterfeit bill. Okay. <laughs> and so if you multiply that by the ways that we can see ourselves as, as less than, if you think about the fact that we are, you know, another thing that people will say is, you know, what about the black on black crime that's happening? And if you think about the fact that part of that is happening because of our self-hate of the fact that we 
are so helpless and and the only person that is vulnerable enough for us only group of people vulnerable enough for us to take out our pain on is ourselves Mm -hmm. if you think about that and you think about the the fact that you know the trauma that was brought on is not being addressed um, and it's not that was people, brought up, that continues to be brought so up. So let me, so the thing is that, um, um, <laughs> my bad. So the thing is that, uh, <laughs> I feel like I, you know, I have, okay. Anyway, the, the thing is that when you think about, um, this sort of, of thing that's happening, um, this phenomenon that's happening in the African-American community and none of those um, factors are being considered by Asians because it's like, oh, just work your ass off. Just work hard like we are as if you are coming in with those same, uh, with that same history, as if you're coming in with that same amount of trauma and having to overcome it is just ridiculous. Um, number one, to not acknowledge how much more work we would have to do to get to that position, um, you know, is, is kind of... Uh, problematic um but yeah i I forgot what else i was gonna say on that but Mm. Mm. yeah but the point that i was trying to make is um number one and oh let me uh, here's the thing this is what i wanted to say also in continuation of that um but and i'm gonna put a but there that's why for me the i Considering all these um, factors that are interplaying into the reason why we find ourselves here year after year having to protest, it is not just a policing issue. It is so encompassing. The racial wealth gap is ridiculous. The, um, you know, the trauma that is not being addressed through uh, mental health issues is ridiculous. The um, fact that we are not able to um, start providing education at such a young age for our children is ridiculous. And so when you think about the idea of protesting just the policing and, the, uh, and, and police brutality, it's like, it's like if we really wanted some something to happen, it's really got to be the government, United States, and it's all of its citizens need to be like, here is our brother here suffering and the amount of resources that we need to galvanize to get them to where they need to be is so great. You know, Asians, whites, Hispanics, Hispanics need to all be in on this. Yes, because we are as strong as our weakest link. If uh-huh. we were all strong, the country is stronger. Uh-huh. And if everybody's like, oh, why are you protesting? Well, this, all these things are so big. But I also think that that's also why I'm thinking to myself, um... You know, just protesting police brutality is not enough, you know, and we can't also wait on them to get on board. Like, let's get on our shit. Like, what do we need to do? Yeah. Because maybe they never get on board. So before we touch upon that, um, I do think it's necessary just to put all of this in context before we start moving. This is the definition of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just be clear. You know, people, I'll have conversations with people in various walks of lives and spaces, you know, well-meaning white people, well-meaning Hispanics, well-meaning immigrants, well-meaning Nigerians, you know, who 
you just addressed, you know, who have a certain perspective about, you know, why can't black people get their shit together? And I think unless we truly understand what's going on, you know, the system is designed and is working as is. The system was specifically designed to keep black people oppressed so that white people can be in the position of power. That's just what it is. That's the beginning of the founding of this country. Mm. And the system is working as is. Mm. So we can't sit here and then pick one aspect of the system and say, well, you know, this is horrible. Why are you, you know, what, what, what we're doing really is victim blaming. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You know, we, we, we're blaming the victim and we're confused that the system is acting the way it is when that is in the design. And, and I think there's a part of us, particularly maybe white people who have amassed, you know, power, wealth, who they want to believe that this all happened based on hard work, you know, that there's a um, there's a reconciliation, you know, or coming to terms with the system being rigged in their favor that I think um, most white people, most immigrants, and what most people are not willing to do, you know. So that's just, that. I think we just have to accept that for what it is. And if we're debating that, then we, the solution as to how to address it will always be on different pages on that. You know what I mean? So if we can understand and agree that the system is um, fundamentally racist, therefore its output is going to be racist acts, (laughs) you know, and unless we address the system and rewrite the code, we're going to perpetually be in this space. So that's just a fact. Now, the quote from, um, from Baldwin that I wanted to read is, you know, white people will try to should try to find in their heart why it was necessary for them to have a nigger in the first place. I'm not a nigger. I am a man. If I'm not the nigger here and you invented him, you the white people invented him, then you have to find out why. And the future of the country depends on that, whether or not it is able to ask that question. Hmm. Does that make sense? And then my follow-up before you speak to that, because I think these two go together, is it's a very rare man who does not victimize the helpless. Hmm. So on one hand, the system, white people, I mean, let's just be honest. (laughs) White people found it, found a need to have someone who they've decided they are better than, they're more powerful than, and always have to, um, you know, in context to themselves, how always have to put down and look at as less than so that they can feel more powerful. And until that idea is understood, um, until that idea is analyzed and maybe reconsidered, it's always what we're going to be here, mm-hmm. you know? And I think what's also important, the reason I wanted to put this is because Yes, there's systemic racism. And I think there's some really well-meaning white people who actually don't maybe even consider the system as a whole. You know, they're just considering themselves as individuals, so they're not really understanding how everything is playing into each other. But we also have to understand, and this is what Baldwin said, which I thought was interesting, is that when you are in a position of power, 
you know, um, he said some very rare man who does not victimize the helpless, you know. And I know some people will say, well, you know, if I was here, I wouldn't do. But maybe not. You know what I mean? Maybe. Um, I want to understand. So a very rare man. What does that mean to you? That does not victimize the helpless. Because, okay, so so they're saying, okay, let me first ask you, what does that mean to you? A very rare man that doesn't victimize the helpless. Yeah, victimize the helpless. Rare. Okay, so if we were to speak of ourselves as human beings, Mm -hmm. you know, and what is accrued to me as a human being should be accrued to the next person. You know, I should be on equal footing with them. You know, they should have what... It is our nature to want to distinguish ourselves from the next person by you know thinking we're better by showing ourselves to be better and it forced to um, proving that we're better you know particularly when the other person is trying to put themselves on the same footing as us so I think what he's saying is you know as much as we ascribe to be better as human beings it is just our nature to take advantage of the weak. And if your value has become like so connected to the idea of you being powerful, you're going to necessarily find reasons for you to exploit the weak or keep people weak. You're going to figure out ways for you to not only remind yourself but remind everybody else that you're more powerful than them. Mm -hmm. Let's put this in context of America versus the rest of the world. We're not, we are the world. We remind everybody first and foremost, uh, let me let you know, we got the guns and the, (laughs) we got, we got everything, you know? Now let's have a conversation. You know what I mean? Like you always pressing this, you always, it's not, come on people, we're human beings. Nah, I need to let you know that I am way more powerful I can obliterate you if you don't play nice, you know, and on, on, you, it, and we've seen it time and time and time again. It happens time and time and time. I need to take from you is the reason why we're in the places that we're in fighting wars is the reason why, you know, with the press of a button, whole cities got destroyed, you know, during World War Two. You know what I mean? Is the reason why we were so concerned about the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, because it's all—it's never really about us as human beings living side to side, you know, next to each other. It's always about me positioning myself as being more powerful, and because of that, I need you to fall in line. And when you don't, I need you to be reminded that I'm more powerful, and I'm—I'm I'm going to go to whatever extent to do that. Does that make sense? So I think there's something, forget the fact that there's systemic racism, because there is, you know, and the systemic racism has, ulti- I mean, it's, it's, a, it's exactly what's going on with the rest of the world. America has positioned itself as bigger, badder, better, and more ready to go to war than the rest of the world. So try it, you know, but that's what's going on here in America. And I don't think we want to allow ourselves to come to terms with that. White people you know, based on money, influence, power, um, weapons, and all of that, they have positioned themselves as bigger, better, better. And every citizen 
who happens to fall within that realm feels it. You, the, the benefits of you being white in America is accrued to you because you can stand up tall and be like, try it, you know? And that's the reason why you have the white woman, I didn't, I didn't even watch this video, who called the cops and was like, oh, you coming to my... So interesting. I am I going to... You. Huh? I remember seeing it. I was like, wait, they have the same last name? I forget their names now. Oh, they have the same. same. I didn't watch the video. I don't know about it. But somebody was telling me that the woman called the cop and was like, I'm going to say a black man is threatening my life when all he was doing. She not only (laughs) said she was going to do it. She actually did it. She did it. So, but yeah, but that's the point, right? The point is, because once again, I just think before we even go into how do we resolve this, the fact is that because this is systemic, okay, the game is that in which white people are in positions of power. That's just a fact. I mean, we could try to debate it and say, we're all Americans, aren't we here? Why does one, stop. White people are in positions of power. The white people individually understand this, you know, and that's the reason why we have Trayvon Martin happening with, um, what's his name? The random white guy who decided to shoot him. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whatever, but, his, name whatever his name is. Or, um, you know, because you inherently understand when you're in a position of power that I wish you would. I wish you would try it, you know, because if I'm feeling like I need to prove something to you right now, I can do it. And I know more than likely I'm going to get away with it. So that's the systemic part of it because that's just a fact and then what i'm saying is that it's a very difficult thing because it's such it's part of our nature as human beings it's a very difficult thing to now ask white people to collectively just abandon what seems to be a natural instinct for one to want to feel better than the other for one to want to oppress the other person it's a very difficult thing do you disagree? It's a diff. Wait, could you ask that question again? It's a difficult thing. Thing for what? For someone who is in a position of power mm-hmm. to not feel the need every now and then to flex that position, particularly when someone who is the the powerless is um, basically questioning or trying to put themselves on equal footing. It's like you as a man or you as an adult, when you're talking to your son, it's all cute. We could be giggling and all, but I need you to remember I'm the adult, Mm -hmm. you know, or if you're with your fellow guy friends or what have you, this is cool and all, but listen, if you trying to put me in my, you know what I mean? Like everybody, no, it's very difficult for you as much as you want to play nice. It's part of our nature as human beings to flex and 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 um, separate ourselves as being better or whatever than the next person, particularly when they are weak. Yeah, I suppose it's the ego, the ego, it's the ego, and, and its need to separate itself. You know, um, that's how it would be described in the circles of people who talk about the ego and you know overcoming the ego and killing the ego. In essence, it's um, you you are trying to be different the ego's existence is to separate itself is to be different than the collective um and um you know it without going too deep into it um it's how 
it's so interesting. I think, you know, the ego kind of gets a bad rep because I think it's, I mean, obviously, you know, if you are a person who believes in this sort of thing, the universe would, in the all-encompassing, the um, infinite intelligence, whatever you want to call it, God, if that's how you want to put it, would not have put it in there if it didn't want it in there, right? Mm. If the ego wasn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. The ego is there to, as far as human beings are concerned, is to differentiate us Hmm. and to create um, the multitude of expression of the universe's um, Hmm. aspect as it is. And so in some ways, it's there precisely because it's meant to be there. The issue is that we are all asleep and don't realize that this ego, this mechanism is there forcing us to to push ourselves against each other um, or away from each other and in some ways it also creates conflict mm-hmm. you know um, because we're pushing away from each other we're saying I'm better and sometimes even I'm worse like victimize, victimize, victimizing yourself is also one of the ways to do that as to well to differentiate yourself yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah. It, you know a lot of people feel better by saying oh woe is me and so okay. yeah and I think that's also part of the narrative that we started playing into as black people as well Mm -hmm. is um you know we're the you know we occupy and it's true that's not to say that you know we're not the worst treated or what you know like i mean yes we are in a pretty bad (laughs) position here but it almost feels like um that's now our badge. Like we're walking around with it as what? Why are you like? No, I say that because I also I remember when we had this discussion yesterday. You talked about um, how you know we don't like part of the reason you were upset about the protest was because you know we're all like we're always being seen as people who are protesting. What about the various other things that we do? Like you know, it's either protesting or um, sports or, you know, rap. entertain rap yeah. specifically. Yeah, we're either here to entertain you or we're going to be killed. You know what I mean? It's right. kind of like in the um, old days when, you know, you have those muscle men who are fighting to mm-hmm. death. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but Yeah, and Biggie said, either you're selling crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot, <laughs> you know? So sports or, you know, some sort of um, illicit activity. Okay. But um, I, I say this because... Um, you know, one of the things that um, I had said was, you know, um, there are just so many different ways that, you know, shit, <laughs> I have to cut this out because I, I forget what we were talking about right before that. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. But the point, uh, the reason why I wanted to put those two quotes together is because I just think it's important for us to understand Number one, as a country, that these aren't aberrant sort of, um, what is it, Um, bugs in the system. This is exactly how the system was meant to work. It's meant to differentiate white people as the powerful, even all our narrative, how we present ourselves to the world, how we engage in general, the history, but all of that. There's a value that we have placed on being bigger, better, better, being the, um, you know, oppressing where we need to do, but, you know, on power, you know, so we just need to be honest. We just need to have honest conversations with that. I think it's important for white people to acknowledge that and think it's more so important for black people to acknowledge that. 
And I think the reason it's important, um, particularly when we say it's very rare, it's a very rare man who does not victimize the helpless. The reason I think it's important for us to acknowledge that is because we will continue to be in this space unless we decide as black people ourselves that we want a different narrative. I don't believe the system is, first of all, the system is not going to change itself. Our value, that fundamentally who we are as a country is powerful people. Who, white people see themselves as, you know, gods, you know? So you're essentially asking them to start to think about themselves differently when it's hardwired into them. That's not possible, you know? And because of how they view themselves and the value they place on power and all of that, it's very difficult for us to not find ourselves here over and over because it's just our human nature. Once you've now decided that you're more powerful to flex and remind people who are less powerful than you that you are more powerful. So that's what I wanted to explore. Now, the next quote, and then we'll get to what I want to get to. I think this quote is going to lead us to, um, you know, what we talked about yesterday in terms of what we can do. Um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Mm. It's good. You like that? Uh, it's good. It's a good quote. He's a good man. Um, <laughs> what that means to me is at some point, we just got to come to terms with what's going on here. I think as a nation, We've been dancing around the obvious, to me, what seems to be obvious, you know. Um, when you go back and read, there's another quote here, um, which I think is really good. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh, it was so good. Um, uh, okay, I don't have it. But he, James he, Baldwin basically says... Um, you think the pain and the hurt that you're experiencing now is unprecedented until you go back and study history is essentially what it is. I wish I had the quote. Basically, this is the status quo. Ain't nothing changed. There's nothing new here. It is what it is. Like this is, it feels particularly um, egregious. It feels particularly bad especially because we're seeing it. But when you go back and read the state of America in the 1800s, early, like it's, this is who we've always been. We just don't live long enough to warn the new generation that, oh no, no, we've been here before. Enough to then say, well, this is crazy. Why do we continue to do this? We don't live long enough to do that. Before we can learn the lessons, we die and then the new generation comes and now they're outraged. Why? This is crazy. How can we do this? So we fall into the same narrative. But the reason why, um, you know, I really like this one is that we could, yeah, we may not be able to change everything, but at some point, in order for us to really enact real change, we're just going to have to come to terms and face the state of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to have to realize this is what it is. So now we need to come with the right set of solutions to really address where we are. 
that's how I interpret that. What about you? So, I mean, I don't know that there needs to be interpreted. I think it's um, obvious. I th- yeah, I think it's um, prima facie when they say when I, so in, in law they say prima. I think it means on its face. Mm, it's obvious. Face. It's yeah. you take it at face value. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So um, I think you know. You can't change anything until you face it. But I, I, what I would, it's not necessarily that I want to interpret what he is saying as much as what I want to say is that I feel like James Baldwin was also speaking to the white audience mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. It was yes. trying to get a group of people who don't, and a lot of people have been doing that too. Um, in, um, in, in social media, I've seen a lot of different things. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is a nice way. Like there was uh, Meek Mill. <laughs> he had this little uh, thing that he posted um, where it was explaining systematic racism and it was talking about the differences in tax dollars and redlining the banks did, which prevented people from being able to buy homes, mm-hmm. which is one of the be- uh, greatest ways that we um, um, are able to build wealth. And, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates also has uh, um, an article on The Atlantic that became very big mm-hmm. when Obama was in The Case for Reparations. And before I read that, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do reparations, mm-hmm. um, you know, for multiple reasons. But, you know, he made a very strong case. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this is good. Yeah. But he's also talking to essentially white. a white audience. Yeah. Um, and not just uh, a white, more than anything, probably those who are potentially sympathetic, you know, the people who just don't know or are unawares, the people who would be willing to listen. And my feeling is on this is twofold. One is, okay, you might be able to get some in the middle. That's all good and fine. But there are a group of people that are hardened on the other side and they are not reading the shit that you are saying. And so for the most part, you're speaking to the choir. When mm-hmm. I went and, and saw that little tidbit that Meek Mill put, I was like, oh, this is so great. But yeah, I'm already convinced. Mm-hmm. What did he say? I don't know. Like a tidbit about a race, systematic racism. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, anyways, like, yeah, this is so great. Like, yeah, this is explaining it in a great way so people can understand. And I'm like, what? Well, yeah. I you would actually click you- on this because... I'm already, I'm, I'm in the choir. Mm-hmm. You're preaching to me. Mm-hmm. And so the Trumps of this world, and there are way too many of them who hold positions of power, couldn't give three shits. Yeah. And so from my perspective, my issue with all of this speaking in the, um, with your blowhorn, whatever you call it, um, to these people is pointless not necessarily pointless. Hopefully you can get them to change. And you say that nothing has changed. I mean, relatively speaking, nothing has changed, right? Relatively, you know, I mean, um, if you're talking about, uh, I forget the other term for not relative, but, um, you know, clearly lynchings have gone down. Mm-hmm. Well, have they? Some numbers. People getting killed in broad daylight. I would have to look at the numbers, but I think... Um, the, know, the lynchings are as much as they have been. Yes, you are getting. Um, you can call what is happening Gun lynchings. Gun down, lynching, people taken from. I don't from think the they're happening in the same thrown numbers. into jail, into prison. People die. I mean, I'm just saying. Whatever. Okay. The point is that there is a lot of different um, things that are um, not as they were, but relative in terms of okay, here's our wealth, here's their wealth. You know, like you know, and when you consider 
you know, in terms of inflation, what our poverty level is, you know, maybe nothing has changed as much. But um, from my perspective, no, not even but. As a result, if you consider these things, if you believe these things as well, that there is nothing that has changed, then what is, why are we still talking to these people? Why yes. these people I'm talking about White, white folks, let, let me, <laughs> Trying to convince let me them. get you to come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, to me, again, just to keep on coming back to this idea of protest fatigue is the reason why I'm like, why? Like, okay, we need to now think about what we have to do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, it's, it's sort of like the um, a more economic version of, and there are many people who are talking about this, whether it's... Uh, um, Boyce Watkins, or from before um, Amos, um, I forget his full name, but mm-hmm. his last name was Amos, who was talking, who wrote the book Blueprint for um, Black Empowerment or Black Power. You know, people have been talking about like um, economic empowerment for a long time, and from my perspective, um, we need to be talking to ourselves about what yes. we need to do because first and foremost, we're not going to get the uh, the the forty seven percent. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Um, the like Republicans, it. in essence. You you have, I don't know what the number is, but there is a group of people who are going to be for Trump no matter what. That group, you're not going to get them. Yeah. And then do we, you know, and potentially, you know, we can say, well, they're dying out and then eventually it will change. Potentially. But I also see that, you know, we are falling behind. Not only are we not no longer the... Um, by we, I'm talking about African Americans, which I, um, as a black person in the U.S., identify with, but also would be identified as mm-hmm. um, by those who are not African American and even African Americans. Um, and so when I say we, I'm like, um, we are falling behind in terms of not only our um, population in, in, in the, in the um, United States um, to um, Hispanics. Um, but we are also falling, potentially falling behind economically. Like we're continuing to occupy the lowest rung. Mm -hmm. And if we don't start focusing on ourselves instead of waiting potentially for these people to die, and then perhaps another group is like, well, why didn't you do your own thing? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had debates with, again, with with minorities, both um, Asian and Hispanic, who are like, you you people just aren't doing your shit. Mm -hmm. And so... At at the point at some point we need to be like yeah. we need to focus on ourselves and instead of trying to talk to them hey yeah. screaming we need to help you need we need you to help us we need to be like okay um, yeah. on a day to day basis what are the sacrifices that we need to make to get our shit together because we can't wait for these other people to get on board and yeah. and I think that has been my frustration with the protests. So, um, yeah, so I think this quote actually speaks to both sides of the fence. Not mm-hmm. everything is faced, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Mm-hmm. That goes for white people. Listen, we're not going to address the issue of racism unless you all are ready to address the fundamental systemic disparities um, that have been um, built into the system. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you're going to have to essentially give up your power. That's not an easy thing to ask anyone to do. That's not an easy thing to ask white people to do. So, but y'all gonna have to deal with that. 
you know, that's up to you to figure out if and when you want to come to terms with that. In the meantime, black people need to understand you just got to face reality for what it is, okay? The reality is that freedom is not going to come as a result of white people saying we're going to give up our position and power. Yeah, there was another quote it's not by gonna somebody come. else who said something. Freedom, something about freedom is not given or something like that. Or some, I remember. I, I, need I mean, to it's, look a, that it's a wide, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a known concept. You mm. don't, you, you can't ask your oppressor to, okay, so let me read you another quote, which I think speaks to it. Not only was I not born to be a slave, he says, I was not born to hope to become the equal of the slave master. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? They may tolerate you. Yeah, you can eat at the table. But for you to have the audacity to think we're the same, like you are a non-motherfucking factor. Mm. You're not a factor. You understand what I'm saying? Like when I think about the future of America and we're putting tables together and people get so concerned. Well, you know, there's not enough diversity on the boards of um, corporate America. Well, no shit. You're not a factor. It's you, this, When we think about power, when we think about who's running the country, when we think about Congress, when we talk about the people who are the masters who are in control, it's not you. We can tolerate you. But for you to have the audacity to think that you could even hope to become the equal is like, they look at you like, that's weird. Stop being weird. <laughs> Stop being weird. Don't do that. You know, you can eat at the table. Maybe you come to the dance. But now you're trying to be the prom queen and king? Come on. Stop. So anyways. um, Okay. So those are the quotes. I mean, there's so many quotes. I would recommend that people um, go back and study James Baldwin because I think he speaks so eloquently and frankly on race in a way that it's not even, um, that there's not a lot of emotion tied into it. It's just a matter of fact, you know, and it's, you know, he addresses both white people and black people at the same time in that you just got to get your shit together, you know, on both ends. Y- y'all got to figure out why you decided to... Um, Make you needed to feel good by having slaves and you know people you've put in the lowest rungs, but you want to present yourself as you know um, something else. He actually had a quote. There was a quote about how you know y'all asked me to um, you know not look at you as racist, but your systems, your laws, your you know you set dogs on you do everything else that you do. That's actually a good quote. Everything else that you do speaks otherwise, but you expect me. To then say, nah, you my friend. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't expect me to see what is evident, what is obvious, and interpret it differently just to make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. So that's that. Now, I think the rest of the segment is about what we're going to do as black people. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I feel like black, white people are not the ones concerned about this. The outrage is coming from black people. It's kind of like somebody is stepping on your foot, right? You're the one who feels the pain as opposed to you trying what you can to pull your leg. You're looking at somebody else who don't even like they, they, somebody else. And you're like, please don't you understand my foot is in pain and everything. And they're looking at you like, well, move your damn foot. Like I can't, I'm sitting here enjoying a good meal. You want me to make your issue my issue. Hmm. Not, you need to figure out how you're going to remove your foot from under the table. And I think that's the reality that we need to really understand. We cannot expect other people who are not feeling 
the pain, who are not in the position, people who quite frankly enjoy their position of power. And and as um as difficult as it is it may be for us to process, it's actually human nature to want to keep your power. But we're looking at them and we want them to make our issue their issue. That's just not realistic. That being the case, I understand that black people, you know, we got to do what we can, but for the most part, we feel helpless and we're coming from a position of, of weakness. You know, we don't know what to do. A lot of people talk about how, you know, we don't know who our leaders are. Um, you know, um, we just got to vote. Like we, we seem to feel like there's a template for what needs to be done so that we can get the results that we want. Um, but I think ultimately the first thing that we've got to come to terms with, like Baldwin says, is we just got to face facts like they, like what it is, you know, every time there's been a change in history, it's come as a result of great sacrifice, great sacrifice. When we even think about America and how it's been in a position of power, you know, you've gone, they've gone to war. They've lost, you know, people, resources, because, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice for something. Now we could say, yes, we've been sacrificing as black people and that I'm not taking anything that we've done and the progress that we made, I'm not taking that from us, but I think we need to fashion solutions that are right for the times and the circumstances that we are in today, yeah. you know? And, and I think what we tend to want to do is dust out the same playbook that we've been using forever, because maybe it worked. You know, there was a time when we needed to legislatively um, like that, that was the only way we needed to have the, the rules change. The laws had to change for us to be considered less than human, you know? So we had to fight legislatively. We had to go to where we need to figure out how things are going to be changed. I can no longer be considered a slave, at least on paper, you know? So yeah, we needed to vote. We needed to do all these things. But in, at this point, I just think that's not to say that it's not important for us to be lining up to vote. It's not important for us to be, you know, Twitter, um, you know, copy and paste and say, yes, Black Lives Matter. All of that stuff matters. But I think back to your point earlier, I think on a day to day basis, we need a new playbook. Like we need to understand that whatever that new playbook is, is going to come at. There's going to be a real sacrifice for us to um, undertake and we're going to have to be okay with that because the lives of our children which is why we do what we do anyways you wake up every day you go to work for future generations you're trying to position yourself for your children you're trying to educate yourself put yourself in a better place so that your children don't have to go through what you have been going through if that's the case then we need to rethink how we're moving on a daily basis, what are the sacrifices that we're willing to make today so that we can bring about a change for ourselves? Not necessarily so that white people can come to the table and tell us, okay, fine, you know, we'll let you come to the party. Nah, how are we gonna create our own party? You know, what are we going to do for ourselves that is going to put us back in the position of changing the narrative that we've been handed down? And those are the things that I think we need to 
really start to iron out for ourselves. So for me, what I came to terms with, so I'm going to say how all of this is kind of coming full circle for me. Um, part of the reason I started um, thinking about leaving my job was because two or three years ago, we decided to buy black for a year um, because we wanted to help to contribute to the black economy. Um, and it made sense. You know, why are we spending so much of our money elsewhere? So we took this challenge upon ourselves to buy black. And it was difficult. You know, it was a difficult year for the children, for ourselves, driving out of the way to find gas, you know, not being able to shop regularly, trying to find vegetables, um, buy clothing. All of it was difficult. What we realized is we don't own a lot of stuff. <laughs> Black people do not own a lot of stuff. We do music well and we do clothing well. That's pretty much it, you know. Do we do clothing well? We have a lot of fashion. Black people got the swag. Yeah, we we, we do it we well. We wear got it we, well. we got the do we cool. own it well? You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's a good point. That's yeah. it. Cause how many labels We look good. We do look good. We we, we like like Will Smith said in um Men in Black, I make the Ray Bans look good. You're right, you're right. We look good. <laughs> we don't we, own the Ray Bans. We we rock we it, it well. Good. We rock <laughs> it well. Anyways, the point is that um, you know, going through that period, I realized for myself personally that, yeah, we want to support black businesses, but that's not enough. I mean, like money is really just a representation of um, time, your talents. It's a representation of something much bigger. And if, if, if I'm going to really contribute to the progress of the black economy in any way, I need to own something. I need to own a black business that can create, that can have, um, you know, what's the word, exponential benefit, not just through my money, but through my talents, my time, employment of other black people. My children are seeing this as a possibility. So therefore they'll own their own businesses. Like that's really what got me thinking about, no, I need to spend more of my time within the black community owning something as a black person um and i think that was what started us off on this course at least for me mm. um and i think once we were done with the buying black we sort of went back to our day-to-day -day habits you know buying whatever we wanted from anywhere without really thinking about how we were spending our money even though now we were working on a black business and hoping to um, provide additional support to other black businesses by making them viable. But what I realized yesterday was, yeah, no, we need to go back to, <laughs> we need to go back to rethinking where we spend not only our time and talents, but our money. So the first thing that, at least for me, that I think I'm going to be doing moving forward and that I would encourage people to do however uncomfortable it's going to be. And I know it's going to be because we've tried this before and I remember you know, when we would tell people this is what we're doing, people were just like, oh my God, how do you get gas? And we would Good tell them. Good luck to you. Yeah, and that was what oh, it was. That's nice. That was what it was, it was and nice. I and remember, I remember feeling like, I, I wanna say frustrated, kind of like, Oh my god! I can't believe that's the response we get. Like yeah. the family members when we put it on our WhatsApp group, and people were like, "Oh, well, nobody was like, let's go." And like, and part of the reason why it was so upsetting to me is because every every time something like this happens, or every time, yeah, we got to get together, guys. Like, 
You know, we all got to figure out how we put our money together and all of these whimsical ideas of, of what to do. And yeah, how do we get all of black people um, internationally to get together? And it's like these huge initiatives that you need to put together. And then we're like, buy black. Uh, that's a little. That's a little. You difficult. driving out of your way to get gas? That's the, uh, Not doing that's that. Little, like, <laughs> and, like I'm, I, and yes, it is a sacrifice, and this is very, very important because you know the racial wealth gap. The racial wealth gap. Like when we're talking about um, average uh, in 2016, um, white people made 170,000 in, in their net net worth, and then black people 17,000 dollars. When you're talking about that kind it's of ten gap, times, yeah, ten, yeah, you're going to be treated like nothing. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you don't have power. What else do you expect? And so, like, we are so busy. When you talk about, you know, looking good in fashion, we're so busy looking good, and that's what it amounted to. Because mm-hmm. you know, you had to convince me, and you know, and I applaud you for pushing it. And I applaud myself actually for actually not you pushing you to do this by black. By oh, yeah, black. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I have to applaud myself for not saying I'm completely like I don't know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. But you were definitely the driver, and um, but I remember thinking, okay, um, my kids are in middle school. You saying I'm not going to allow them to look good? Like mm-hmm. I can't buy the clothes that they're going. You're saying I can't feed them all this. Stuff. And all of it, it boils down to how you look. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember people coming into our homes and our pantry was completely empty. Mm-hmm. Like people look, I remember your uh, brother and, mm-hmm. you know, his wife came in and we had nothing in our fridge because it was so freaking difficult to, to freaking find food. buy food. <laughs> and then like it, it got to the point where we can't go to the grocery stores. It, we had to go to buy food at 7-Eleven because mm-hmm. it was Ethiopian owned. Um, oh, and it's not it's just we're just talking franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily even completely owned by them. Like when we went to go gas, um, you know, buy gas, had to travel to Baltimore to mm-hmm. get it from Rockville. If you know, have any sense, it's like 45 minutes away mm-hmm. to get gas. So we have to spend gas, spend gas to get gas and then spend <laughs> gas on the way back to where we needed to go. Mm-hmm. Everything. It is a difficult freaking. Oh, what ask. about produce? Like to get produce, you got to I remember having to drive after work like an hour to DC to go pick up my community support toilet paper had to be ordered <laughs> in from like freedom papers yeah. and things of that nature it's a difficult ask it but is. but the the more the most difficult part of it let me be clear yes it is an inconvenience the, you know some people also have to um spend more when you have very little to begin with but the truth is that there are sacrifices that you can make in other places that you spend if it's really that important to you sacrifice sacrifice but i think the biggest piece is really i'm like what happens when other when i can't do these things and other people are looking at me like what the hell yeah you know and that's and that's the thing like for me that was how am i going what it was how am i going to look and this is the thing we are so busy trying to look a certain way Listen, when you look at seventeen thousand dollars is our net worth compared to one hundred and seventy. First, you don't got it. We we don't got it. You don't. Let's stop playing. You games. don't have it. Stop <laughs> trying to look like you have it. We you don't, got, don't it. got it. We may be able so, to get it if we focus. We got to build now. We got to build it. We got to build. Why, this is why it's, this is a some days today. Like I wanted yes. to get to this point because if whether you want to get to some place. Whether you want to get to someplace individually or if you want to get to there com- um, collectively. Um, uh, collectively, when you talk about facing the issue, the issue is 
you don't fucking got it. Stop trying to look like you got it collectively. And let's all get down to, you know, this whole social media where everybody's like, oh, look at the places I'm traveling. Look at how I'm looking. Look at the clothes, whatever. We collectively need to be like, okay, we ain't got it. We're going to have to scale back. We're going to have to, like, not look good. We're going to have to, like, now start buying from each other so that when somebody, um, you know, says, I'm going to start a business, Everyone is like supporting. We are now creating a whole ecosystem. People have talked about this sort of thing where, you know, you have a directory of black businesses and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. The minute we collectively say that's how it's going to be is when we collectively start finding solutions to the Mm -hmm. shit that's going to make it less hard for me to find gas. Yes. Or toilet paper. And the issue is that, and I think this is the point that you were making yesterday, is we've been focusing on... You know, you got to vote, mm-hmm. you got to protest, you got to do all of this stuff, but there needs to be a collective understanding. We need to fucking support our own. We need to build our own and we need to do it today. Today. And we need to now figure out like the the wealthy, you know, instead of spending all your money on, you know, trying to ramp, ramp up the vote or whatever it is you're spending your money on. How can we contribute to black-owned businesses being successful? Yeah. This has got to be the the Daily. prevailing with on a 365-day thing. How do we support ourselves so that we can have the we can narrow the work uh, the, the wealth gap and so we can hire our own people? Mm-hmm. People don't understand how much small businesses mm-hmm. you know impact the community. You you hire people. You get more um, when when we talk about an employment rate, like the, you know, uh, when America catches a cold, uh, black people catch a flu. Well, if we were hiring our, ourselves and supporting our own selves, we may not need to catch a flu mm-hmm. because we're still hiring ourselves. We still are able to now get that money and spend it, multiply it into the community. Mm-hmm. You know, pass it into one another. Mm-hmm. You know, figure out how we're going to provide the basics. Oh, just imagine! Remember when Obama became president? Our kids have no concept of what it means to not to, for, to not be able to envision the possibility of a black man in the White House because mm. it's happened. When I was growing up, that just seemed like fantasy. That's like saying horses can fly. Mm. It's like, oh well, I mean, I guess I, could, I guess I could imagine it, but that's not reality. We know that, right? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the point is, more than anything, when we talk about the ex- exponential effect, you know, even monetarily that you just discussed. But just the when you think about pushing beyond boundaries that we've imposed on ourselves, for a, a, for your child to see you as a business owner reconfigures their mentality and the possibilities for them in terms of their future. Mm. Right now, even our kids, as much as we talk about ownership, entrepreneurship, they're looking at us like, oh, we can't wait to go to college and get a job. And we're looking at them like, no, you're going to own something. And, but the thing is, like, there's so much in terms of, um, you know, what we're getting, how we're being hardwired, how we're being taught. There's so much that we have to push against that it's important. And, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, seeing black images, seeing a black Barbie means a lot. Mm. Seeing a black president means a lot. There's a lot that, you know, being able to envision something does to your psyche mm. because now you realize someone who looks like you has done it. So, of course, I can do it. So it opens up the world of possibilities. But the point is, people, it's time to build. Like, yeah. we don't have time. We can't talk. I'm just so tired of talking. <laughs> 
talking. We're not doing this no more. We're not. And this, and, is, and not... this is the quote that I wanted, to, that I was thinking. Um, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of, of the world. Oh. But then you read it. Maybe I wasn't okay. able to um, find, it. find it. But this, like, we've been here before, people. We've been here. We've done this. At this point, we build. Hmm. That's, that's, if we're not building, and, and I think there are two is things. Not... Okay, Let me just quickly say the two things. things before we go further down. The two things when we're building that we need to realize is, number one, it's inconvenient. Mm. That's where we are. We have fought for convenience. We understand that. My yeah. ancestors did not fight for me to be whatever that narrative is. Yes, we fought for convenience. At this point, now we need to put the luxury of convenience on hold for the future. That is something that we're going to have to do. We need to understand it's going to be inconvenient. And then I think the second thing is back to what um, you know James Baldwin says. We can sit here and circle around the problem and the solution all day. Until you face it, we won't yeah. be here forever. Yeah. So we could either do it tomorrow or we could do it today. We don't have any other time. It's going to be inconvenient, but at some point you're going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. And what are we doing? It's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So so I just, I want us to really allow that to kind of just settle in. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're not begging white people for nothing no more. We got it. We got the talents. We got the resources. We have the luxury of convenience. But now we're going to put it on hold because we've decided there's something greater at play that we need to collectively focus our energy on and when i say focus our energy on because yesterday we also you and i also talked well what does this mean what are we asking people to do i think at the end of the day if you don't go to bed saying i have spent most of my talents most of my time most of my energy most of my resources on black issues either building a black business supporting a black person having communications with black brothers and sisters volunteering in black nonprofits. Whatever it is, if most of your time was not spent pushing forward the black agenda, you need to go ahead and mark that day as a failure. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what else. It just seems harsh, but I think it's kind of like trying to lose weight. I was supposed to run five miles today, eat so many calories today. I didn't do that. Well, that wasn't a good day. Tomorrow is another day, but hopefully you're going to rededicate and recommit yourself to doing that. And I think unless this becomes a lifestyle, this is not a once in a four year, we're going to line up and vote thing. I mean, that's part of the lie. We think we're doing something, but we're not. We're not doing it. We yeah. gotta re- we've got to refocus our energy and the luxury of convenience is no longer affordable to us. We can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, to bring it back to some days today, um, there is, like you said, the recognition, the facing, the fact that you have to do something, and then there is the work. Like, and I, and I, and I think I, I, and I don't know how much we stress that, or if we need to stress it enough. This is something that I, I often try to convey in the other episodes. It's like, yeah, despite the fact that I recognize this now, because mm-hmm. that's the first step, acknowledgement or facing it, like um, Baldwin said. It doesn't mean now it's all downhill. It's when you recognize it is when you actually look up and be like, oh, shit, I'm climbing a mountain. Now you got to start to go climb that damn mountain. Mm -hmm. okay? And then 
So the point is that it is going to be work, but first recognize that that has to be done. And, 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 and it's a mental piece. It's most of this is what you prioritize. Mm -hmm. Most of everything that you do, like one of the things that, um, it was a, 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 a Ted talk that I, um, listened to, I don't remember the name of the person, but what he said was essentially what you like when you, when you, like he said to journal. Mm -hmm. Once you journal, you recognize where you are putting your time. You can't say, I find it important for me to spend time with my family. And then you look up and most of your time is, in, is at work. Mm -hmm. Like, how much do you really value that? Where are you actually prioritizing? How much work do you want to do? And so, really, there are a lot of ways that you can shift. And yes, the mental piece. When you think about anything that you do, the mental piece is the hardest, which is why a lot of people outsource their decision making to somebody else whether it's the church or it's like i got to find a leader or i've got to find whatever decide for me it's a tough thing but when you or planning even mm -hmm. when you have to plan it's like oh my god there's so many things that like really it's about okay let me take the time to think about which things i'm going to focus on mm -hmm. that's what it takes but it does take that mental shift you have to go in and do it and we have to first and foremost recognize the need to have that shift because I think that is the biggest piece. Everybody don't, every one of us are not prepared to truly take the daily sacrifices that it takes. And even, and the sacrifices really is a mental thing. I don't know if we're, we have the mechanism to get everybody to think because this is a difficult ass thing. Like mm -hmm. to ask somebody, if you, if you think about it, to ask somebody who is looking at their children, I happen to work you know, that person happens to work in a nice, cushy job. They're able to provide everything. They can eat. They can travel. They can provide all their uh, all they want for their kids. And now we're going to say, hmm, guy, change that. Not only you, but now i got to multiply it by all these different people in the, world, in, in, in the black community that needs to do the same thing. That is a difficult ask. But I don't know that that's not something that we can, can't do if that is the focus. Oh, yeah. If that is the movement, instead of it being any other movement, the movement is support your goddamn self. Mm -hmm. and, and because, I mean, obviously some people have um, decided that what they're going to focus on right now is one love. You know, not the idea of I got to build wealth. Everybody, each one for themselves. If you focus on yourself, you I focus on myself, and then, you know, all of it will come out to be, um, you know, even in the in the long run, as opposed to saying... Look, nobody like the the um, opioid epidemic is not going to go away because every opiate addict said, I got to fix myself. Mm -hmm. White people, white leaders decided, you know what, this is an, an issue that we need to tackle. The issue that is that they're not doing the same for us. Mm -hmm. So we have to now say we have an issue we need to tackle mm -hmm. or it's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Your children's children's children are also going to be facing this and saying, you know, we think we have this is unprecedented. But if you read in 2020, you know, during the um, COVID epidemic, we had to fight because somebody's, you know, kneeled on somebody's mm -hmm. neck and it's going to continue to happen. And so if we don't say we got to make those sacrifices and go up that hill it's never going to change. And so that's where that's where it is. We got to we got to first say we got to do it and then the hard part is actually going through what we said like it was freaking hard getting mm -hmm. toilet paper. We had to go travel 45 minutes mm -hmm. away to get gas. It's not easy. 
Mm. Or you can't order out or go to a restaurant or anything. Well, we, we would try to find black-owned stuff. We would stuff, try, but imagine uh, when we found... All right, everyone. Um, you may notice um, maybe a weird glitch in the picture um, for those who are on um, who are watching us on YouTube. But um, you know, we're still trying to get this all <laughs> recording thing down. Uh, but it stopped recording, so the last twenty minute or so, I believe, um, was not captured. So we wanted to come in to say, um, you know, we'll stream the sound from the audio that we captured um, on our phones into YouTube so you all can hear how we closed out the segment. Um, but just wanted to let you know that, um, you know, that's why you're going to be seeing the rest of the video without much, um, without any visuals to it. So um, yeah, enjoy. We found a black red, and you know, the kids were so excited. The point though is, um, I tell the kids this all the time, ain't nobody coming to save you. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, I always imagine, was it the, the Thai children who was stuck in the cave or whatever? Um, you know, sometime back in then they had to come and be rescued. Mm. I'm sure this was black people. Ain't nobody coming. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just need us to understand, you know, I, I think it's important for, and I think on some level we understand there's work to be done, but for whatever reason, because we don't truly understand the ecosystem of racism and how insidious and comprehensive it is. And for it to be dismantled, you're asking something that is actually somewhat unnatural of the, the people in power to do. Mm. I don't think we're ready to really understand that. You know, we think that we're truly one nation, one, human, one set of human beings and it's one love. It's not, you know, and, and maybe we'll get there one day. But we don't have that time. We don't have that time. So we're at a point where we've got to realize ain't no white knight coming to save us. Ain't nobody coming. It's just us, you know? And while we have to reconcile how to dismantle this, if it's going to happen, or maybe some white people will wake up and be like, oh, that's some bullshit. Let's oppress animals instead of black people. Who knows? Maybe, you know, there would be a way to, you know, have that's them. happening too. Huh? That's happening too, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. But the point is, white people, they, they don't figure out their own shit. Because let's also, I mean, there's another quote here that said, you know, you can't inflict hate on people without that coming back to you. So white people dealing with their own shit. Hmm. Whatever it is, that's fine. Let them deal with it. I, I'm not a, a psychologist. I don't know what's going on here. You know, whoever, I can't even watch a video of somebody's life. I can't even think about it without it bringing me to tears, but for you to be, I mean, we were, we were talking about that the other day. It's a different type of mindset for you to take somebody's life and take it like so callously and casually. I said, oh, it's just, you know, I just woke up today and decided to kill a man. I just woke up today and decided to lynch somebody. You've got to deal with that. Mm. Let white people deal with their shit. Like, it's fine. Let them deal with it. We've got our issues to deal with. And the fact is, ain't nobody coming. You might as well deal with it today or tomorrow, but you won't have to deal with it. And as with everything, like you said, it's a comprehensive thing. Once we decide that we are going to focus our energy on this, on resources, we've survived this long because of the fight that we've all had to come together to fight. The problem now is that the nature of the problem has evolved. So the fight now has to change. 
it has to match the nature of the struggle and the issue. So we can't just dust out the same old playbook and say, okay, well, oh yeah, this is where we go march. Let's go march. It's not it, it, pointless. Mm. Not that it, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's pointless, but the point is it's insufficient. Mm. Um, so. And, and, and also yeah. another thing, cause I know that there are a, a ton of arguments, um, against that. And, you know, this is not to, um, brush over the fact that, you know, financing is important in terms of, um, getting your business off the ground. But again, I think it's important that we say if collectively we focus on this, solutions start to be built. They do. There are multiple different, like there are ways that we can finance ourselves. I know that Magic Johnson um, is is doing a lot to finance um, businesses in the black community. I know, um, you know, to various different degrees, uh, um, Russell Simmons was doing something um, with, with financing. And finance is important if you want to, you know, um, grow your business if you want to inject capital into your business and grow there are ways that we can do that if we start focusing on that we Even do not have in- to rely on these white banks we can start mm-hmm. small we can start our own businesses there is a, this book when we took this um uh construction class um in baltimore um which was you know sponsored by a black-owned bank the harbor bank you know, uh, one of the books that we read, the man started out essentially as a um, numbers runner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually he went into real estate. And then from real estate, you know, he started his own ability to like finance, um, you know, different um, um, real estate deals. And it's about us, you know, if there is a need for the financing part, I think we can come up with people who can start the financing piece of it. And, and the role way, we, we don't can have play to rely as a, on that. The role we can play, even as individuals, is I mean, one of the you mentioned Harbor Bank. We took our money out of regular banks and put it into a black bank. Yes, if and let we me tell fund you, black banks. They can that's fund, been also difficult. <laughs> but uh, just to say, just just so bank, people can understand, it's a yeah, struggle. it's a struggle. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a sacrifice if you actually want to make um some things. Yeah, but yeah. but but I'm just yeah. saying, you know, you know, a lot of us are thinking these are difficult things. Yes, and it is difficult for you to figure out how to support the black economy, but you can easily switch your mortgage over to a black bank. That was what we did. That didn't take too long and we actually ended up getting a lower rate with a black black bank than we had before. Um, you can take your regular bank account and put it into a black bank so that they can be well um, capitalized to lend money to small black businesses or, or what have you. There's so many ways for you and for all of us to play a role if we just stop and think. And that's really all it takes. Like, you know, it's inconvenient. That's a fact. We're not going to say it's not. But before you... Um, you know, make a purchase for a pair of sneakers of something, you know, can you do a quick research and see, you know, what's a black brand that I can support, you know, and it may not be the flyest, you know, but you'll rock it and make it fly. But the point, I mean, there's just so much we could do. I just think this is the point when we need to once again, put the luxury of convenience on hold. We, We can't be, we can't be, um, doing things out of convenience anymore. We've got to be really bothered and inconvenienced, and it's got to be a daily act to uh, move ourselves forward. 
Uh, there's just so much. I mean, we have some tips, but I think um, for me, I mean, I think uh, this whole week, you know, culminated yesterday with the understanding even more so than I had before that, um, yeah, we just, th this is a lifestyle change for a lifetime. And unless we do that collectively, um, we're going to be here in another three months. Um, you know, figuring out new ways to protest and asking white people to look at us as what we genuinely are, which is human beings. Mm -hmm. We're human beings. <laughs> so I don't think we should be begging someone to look at us as human beings. The minute we are finding ourselves doing that, we should already know that we've taken the wrong turn somewhere mm -hmm. and we need to redirect the course of the conversation, you know? So, yeah, that's so, all I got. Yeah, so... You know, when I finally decided I was going, because, you know, there was a Blackout Tuesday, everybody was participating in, and I was thinking to myself, well, I don't want to, and on Instagram, probably, yeah. who knows where else, because I don't, I only do Instagram, um, and I was thinking to myself, mm -hmm. okay, I don't know, like, I don't want to be on a bandwagon, you know, do what everybody else is doing. I mean, that was one thing, and then the other thing was, like, I also was still feeling like, okay, everybody's just you know, putting um, their thing up, you know, this little thing up. And I was thinking, you know what, ultimately, that's not what is needed. Again, I, I you know, I also always want to caveat. There's a time and place for it. Yeah. But it's not I, the I, full but thing. But what I want to caveat is, you know, I don't want to diminish your, anybody's entrance into the game. And this is probably one of the ways that people get involved. And again, because people talk and talk and talk, which is part of the reason why I, you know, we're having this conversation. That said, I was like, man, like I, you know, everything that we've been talking about, like protest, 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 protest fatigue. And so when I finally decided that I was going to jump into the fray, what I did was I wrote the book. And I think that's also part of what started us. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this happened before you decided before or after you saw the book, but we, we did buy the book. It's called Our Black Year by Maggie Anderson, where she outlines a whole bunch of the different disparities. And she also discusses like her family, you know, her family's um, experiment with buying black, buying black for a year. year, which is, yeah. you know, what we decided to do it, you know, so I recommend that book, um, Maggie Anderson's Our Black Year, check it out. And um, that's what I posted so that people can um, hopefully go out and uh, take a look and Try it out, you know. Um, start small if you need to, but start. Yeah. And grow, hopefully. Yeah. All right. I mean, to wrap up, I think the the main takeaway, I think, for a fellow... Oh, I, if you are inclined, there's no reason why you don't support black businesses as well. Oh, that's a good point. We support your businesses, Asian yeah. people, Hispanic people. Um, there's no reason why you can't go out and support black folk. It, it shouldn't be that we have to tell ourselves to support ourselves, but we shouldn't have to tell you to support us either. Yeah. Um, go out, build. If you don't want affirmative action, if you don't want um, you know, tax dollars going to us, then spend your money with us. Yeah. And then, you know, like I said... You know, we are as strong as our weakest link. So, yeah. you know, build each other as well. We don't mind that. We're just saying 
If you don't, so be it. Because we're going to have to support ourselves. Yeah, I mean, what we, yeah, I, I, I can't. Yeah, we, Let's focus on black. I mean, I, I don't know. We, we ain't got nothing else to say. I, I'm tired. I don't got nothing else to say to white people, Asians, Hispanic. I'm tired. I don't got nothing else to say. <laughs> However, I think um, black people, let's just understand, once again, ain't nobody coming. However, it may be made to look like they're coming. Oh, vote today and that ain't nobody coming. That's just a fact. That's not to say we shouldn't vote. There's a place for that. That's fine. But that's not our primary mode of building and of resistance now. That, to me, what I was saying yesterday, that's like brushing our teeth. You get up, you brush your teeth. Brushing your teeth does not add value to your day until you've actually spent your day doing something of value. That's how I see voting. That's how I see Twittering or whatever it is. That's, that's nice. It's cute. We're going to raise hell. We're going to riot. But the only thing that matters is what we build. It's easy to destroy. And it's easy to raise hell. You know, like we look at our children and, you know, you screaming. Yeah, you can get attention. But the only thing that matters is what you build. So we're going to build. And it's going to be an inconvenience. It's not easy. It's going to be an inconvenience. It is what it is, you know, but we're committed for the long run so that, you know, years from now, you know, when something does happen, it's it's a different, we're not playing the same script and the same narrative and we're thinking this is unprecedented. We're dealing with something else. You know, black people are not recycling, you know, the same issues. What You know, we just need to shift our mindset. It's going to be, we're going to build, it's going to be inconvenient. And at the end of the day, it is a constant commitment to it. It's a daily commitment. So I think individually, we need to go like do some soul searching within ourselves, you know, figure out where you're spending your money, your talents, your energy, your, your, your words of wisdoms, your, who are you mentoring? Where are you volunteering your time? Where are you spending, you know, your nonprofit efforts, whatever it is, I think, the majority of that time should be spent within the black community. No offense to all the randomness we do within the white community, but I think at this point, we need to be assessing on a daily basis. What did I do today? Okay, yeah, did this, this, that made sense, you know? And tomorrow, it's a rededicated commitment to that. Um, so that's where I'm going to go figure out how, where, where I'm going to be getting groceries and <laughs> produce and clothes and all this stuff um, that we've fallen back on, but that's what I'm going to be doing along with working on my black business, you know, and maybe doing a more focused search and effort on working with black businesses more so than we've been doing. But the fact is, you know, we, we need to have a renewed focus on building um, our black communities. So. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's it's a, it's it's been a tough week. Um, you know, I think we're all hurting collectively, justifiably so. Um, and I think that's also one thing we have to allow ourselves. No matter how we're hurting, you know, I think you know there are people who don't understand who are questioning why you you know we've had a conversation about it. people are looking, you know, and you know judging and you know saying we're constantly complaining or whatever. The fact that we get up every day 
and we still figure out a way to put clothes on and walk out the door and try to take on the day in and of itself is fucking amazing. You know, so if we're hurting right now, it's completely understood. And I don't think we need to explain or justify our pain to nobody. Mm-hmm. We don't need to. We're human beings. And uh, this is our humanity crying out to be recognized. So that's it. Yes. Um, okay. Well, this was a special episode of Some Days Today. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, we can't say go and live your life like it's a fucking vacation because it's not. Not today. <laughs> not today, folks. <laughs> it's not a vacation. We need to go build is what we don't right now. We need to get to work. Maybe next time we do an episode, we'll figure out how to merge work and vacation. However, right now, we get into work. That's what we do. So. <laughs> Live your life like you want to say, ain't nobody coming. Just you and yourself in that mountain, you gotta keep climbing. So, let me get to it. Yeah. Uh, Alright. All right.